Thank you. Revelation Station is our children's church. Young folk are figuring that out and going out. We thank God for each of you being here. I was reviewing the, um, just looking back over the history of 45th Street, preparation for this service. One of the things that stands out as being really strong in the history of 45th Street is the stability of its leadership. 108 years of existence, 77 of those years have been under three pastors. Three pastors, 77 of those years. I'm the ninth pastor of this church. That ought to tell you how stable the church has been. But the longest serving pastor, Reverend Turner, followed by Reverend McLaughlin. And then as, you know, even in my short tenure, 18 years, I'm the third longest serving pastor. So we thank God for his hand of grace that we've had that level of stability. And that only comes about, stability in the pulpit only comes about because of stability in the pews. And so we thank God for your faithful, loving service, devotion to this church. And we look forward to whatever the Lord is going to do tomorrow and tomorrow after that for 45th Street. We started a sermon series last week that I didn't feel it was uh, inappropriate to continue on this holiday. Uh, we're in the season of Advent, celebrating the expected coming of the Christ. And we decided that the series that we would look at would be um, a, some of the songs that we study or that we listen to during this time of year. And so the ser series is entitled my Christmas playlist or Christmas playlist. We're listening to those songs that are traditional. We're talking about them, the ones that are traditional. Last week, we started out by talking about the song that seems to get it started, the first, the first Noel, the first Noel. And we looked at the activities of the angels and how they appear in various places in the, Christ, the Christmas story, and most significantly, how they appear to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus' birth was announced. 
And today we're going to stay in that chapter and look at that same scene from a different perspective. The song that we're going to concentrate on today is Away in a Manger. Away in a Manger. If you'll let me read Luke 2 and 7. Luke wrote, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, clearly that is, if you're familiar with the Bible, that reading is not from the King James Version. That's a new international version. Believe in King James Version says he was in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes, which simply means cloth strips, strips of cloth, rags, if you will. And she placed him in a manger because there was no room. This says no guest room available, but King James Version will probably read to you there's no room in the end. At least that's what we've been taught all our lives, that there was some kind of holiday inn that was full. Mm -hmm. Some kind of motel that they didn't have room for. Now, there may, be a, may have been guest quarters in a place there in the home, but I want you to know Mary and Joseph wouldn't have had money to go in there anyway. They were on a mission and they were poor. They were under God's grace the entire time and they needed the grace of people to support them. And, and I would imagine that if you look at the scene, if you could focus your mind's eye on them showing up, I'm sure, tired, from their travels, seeking a place. Joseph is just trying to find somewhere for Mary to lay down. She, she's, she's, as they say, big with child. She's not a small, I mean, not a large girl anyway. She's young. Mary was a teenager. This her first child. He don't know what he's doing and she don't know what she's doing either. And it seems like it's about time for the baby to come. They need some help. And they go to this place asking for assistance. And the only assistance, and I say only not to be pejorative, but the best the innkeeper could do was point them to another structure and say, you can go over there and get out of the elements. And the other there, the over there place that he was talking to was in reality a barn. It's where they kept the animals. I, I wish I could help you understand that this wasn't no pretty scene. We doctor it up and make people believe that there was this nice wooden structure that allowed them to go in and everything was nice and warm and there was a fire in there. But I came to tell you, that's simply not the case. 
they were poor and they had to take what somebody gave them. Now, I don't know about you, but in my mind, I start wondering if this is God's son and God made it such that he came to visit us, why wasn't a way prepared to show that he was the king that was coming? It seemed like God could have made provision. A little bit better. Seemed like he could have called, uh, what is it, Verbo or, or, uh, or, or, or any of them, you know, the new things. We think we can always call up somebody and prepare the way and they lay it out for us. And when we show up, they just put the key in our hand and we go in and it's instant vacation. This wasn't that kind of party, y'all. This was a desperate mission. In fact, the only reason they were in this place is because of an edict of the leader of the country who said, I need for everybody to go back where their family's from so that I can count you. Because I need to know how many people I have in the country. More importantly, he needed to know how many men of fighting age he had in case he had to do battle. And the most significant part of it, Marie, was that he needed to know how many folk he could tax lay a tax on and get that money. And so in order for us to do that appropriately, you need to go back where your folk from. All right. And that, you know, if that was, I don't know where you would go. If they told you, you had to go back to your family's birthplace. Do you even know where you would go? I guess I'd go to Elenia City over in North Birmingham uh, to be counted or whatever, but that's where they were. And they found themselves there at this time of her pregnancy. I wonder if tension was still high. I know the angels had visited both of them. The angel had visited both of them. We talked about this in, in the Bible study. We just, uh, we just finished on angels. These last five Bible studies we had were on angels. And we know that angels were very busy in the pre-birth of Jesus. They had to first come tell Mary, a teenager, what was happening to her. And then they had to calm down what was sure to be a civil disaster between Joseph and Mary when he finds out she's pregnant, but he hasn't been with her. Oh, that's a civil disaster. They were betrothed which under Judaic law meant that they were together. Everything was over but the shout. And she comes up pregnant. Any man of common sense, knowing where he had been and where he had not been, would be led to the, under normal circumstances, irrefutable thought, what you talking about, Willis? I mean, is what he would have to say. What you mean, you pregnant? Not only was her reputation at stake, his reputation was at stake. There was tension in the air. But the Bible takes great pains in state, stating that Joseph was a good man. He was a good man. And it takes great pain in stating that he decided that even though his reputation was at stake, he would, I love the terminology that's used, 
put her away privately, which means he would quietly break the bond of betrothal so that she could go about her business because I just want to believe, Mr. Dada, that he loved her and didn't want to see any harm come to him. And while his mind was racing, while he was tossing and turning at night, as anyone would do, the Lord sent a comforter to him in the form of an angel. And that angel came to him and made it clear and said, Joseph, what's happening to Mary is not of this world. It's otherworldly. They're still remembering that as they're traveling to Bethlehem. They're still walking through that emotionally and mentally. They're not drones. They were people. And they're going there and they're talking, Mary, I really don't know what's going to happen. This is a big thing we're doing. But we first got to get you out of the elements because this, you know, this donkey's going to give out in a minute. And I can't carry you the rest of the way and not the little meager belongings we have. You know, we got to get somewhere. And they stop at this place. And there was no room available for them inside the living structure. So they sent them to the barn. Why you want to make sure we understand that it's a barn? Because you wouldn't want your baby born in a barn. You wouldn't want your baby born in a place that was less than ideally. And we're not just talking about any baby. We're talking about the son of God come to earth, putting flesh on so he could be like us. That's the baby that I'm talking about. You would think, you would think that he would be born in a palatial circumstance. You would think there would be attendance and people waiting. You would think that there would be so much majesty afforded to his arrival here on earth, but that's just the part of the story that I want you to understand. Because this is a unique baby. He is a king for sure. He was a king before he became an embryo in his mama. Mary couldn't know who she was carrying. She knew it was special. She knew he was special, but she had no idea that the king inside of her had created her. She had no idea that she was in that space that only, that no other woman in the world has ever been in, that she carried the creator in her womb. She couldn't know this. Because the Bible says that the pre-incarnate Christ, that's the one who lived in heaven before he came through Mary, that the pre-incarnate Christ actually created everything that is. And there was nothing created that wasn't created by him. So Mary is carrying the creator in her womb. Wouldn't you think that heaven would prepare a way for the creator more majestic than a bond? More majestic than a feeding trough to lay his head, but that's exactly what he had. How do I know this? Because heaven designed it to be this way. Let's go back to last week and pull that verse again. Luke 2 and 12 says that the angels came to the shepherds 
who was simply on night watch that day, taking care of business, when all of a sudden angels appeared to them, announcing to them that the, that the Son of God had come. We always pretty it up. You get the Christmas cards and the TV commercials and everything, and everybody singing Gloria and Joy to the World. And here these guys are doing their job, not bothering anybody, and they're told baby's going to be born. Natural thing you'll say is, how will we know him? Clearly, this can't be the only baby born. How will we know that the baby we're going to see is the one we're looking for? And the reason we'll, you'll know it, it gave him two things. You're going to find a baby, and he's going to be one wrapped in strips of cloth. All right? This shall be a sign to you. That's what verse 12 says. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Two very unusual things. I don't care how poor you are. You're not going to put your baby in a feeding trough when he is born. What resources you have, you're going to utilize them to be, put your baby in the best and most advantageous place you can. And yet, we are led to believe that under the circumstances, this is the best Mary and Joseph can do. And so the shepherds, immediately after they're giving the information, giving the information from the angels, the Bible says, they said, let's go see this thing that's being done. In other words, we got to go see for ourselves what has been done. And they go, and guess what they find, church? They find an unusual sight. They find a poor girl and a husband, and a baby. And he is, in fact, in the places that they say, he is, in fact, wrapped in strips of cloth in an unusual place, in an unusual place. He's in a manger. Now, let me straighten this out, because every time I see pictures of it, the manger that I see is this wooden little crib thing. Not That's too far. It's, it's this wooden crib, and it is... Uh, a fact that at that time in that era wood was a scarcity. It was a scarcity. Wood was not often used in the construction of domiciles and nor was it used in the creation of opportunities for animals certainly not for animals to eat. And so more than likely instead of it being that little cute and that one ain't cute with the hay in it, it was probably stone. Probably made out of stone. Because they simply did not at that time make mangers like that. And so here's Jesus in this cold, stone, probably hayfield trough. That before he got there that day, they had fed the, the sheep well, the, the, the cows and, and perhaps the horses out of, and they cleaned it up a little bit and were able to put the Son of God in it. The manger, y'all, is something by definition that every farmer would tell you is dirty. It's dirty. It was never intended to be the bed of a child. It was a feeding trough. Probably not a lot of folk in here have ever seen animals in the real eating today. And so you can't imagine 
my grandboys will tell you down in Tuskegee, they see Joe the bull and the cows eating all the time. And it ain't a pretty sight. It's not something you want to get in the middle of. And them cows too big to get in the middle of. But they eat. And it's messy. Nobody's cleaning up after them. And that's the environment you find the baby was born in. But why? 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 I want you to remember this. The reason is heaven wanted you to know there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. Maybe you've heard Somebody singing in a song. I don't know what song that keeps popping in my mind as I was preparing this. I hear somebody singing, there ain't nobody like him. There's no one like Jesus. Maybe it's something you said in a prayer. Maybe you thought to yourself, ain't nobody like Jesus. Either way, we need to believe that he is the most unique leader we've ever seen. The angels saw fit to make sure he had the cloth and had the manger and that was a sign to the shepherds. But I came to tell you, there's no other time in human history that we know of that the king was born under circumstances like this. Now you might ask yourself, why you keep making this point? Because I want you to understand that Jesus came in these circumstances, so you would know about him. All right? If he had come in the high and exalted circumstances, born in the inner bowels of a palace somewhere, attended to by, by maidens and, 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 and all the favor that the kingdom had to show was bestowed upon him, you would never, I would never know about this baby Jesus. And under the circumstances, there was a crazy man on the throne, and he was killing anybody that was a threat to his throne. God had to almost sneak a baby in here to rescue us. And so he brought him in in a way that was completely unusual. And so I want you to know that the manger was deliberate because Jesus was on a mission, and the mission was to save us. But the manger identifies a couple of things that you might want to take down. First of all, the manger comes, and it points to the cross. The humility of the angel, I mean of the a manger, is an example of the destiny of the child. Yeah, he comes in humble circumstances, and he leaves as he said, nailed between two thieves. Two thieves were nailed beside him to share the agony. And so being in this dank, nasty, non-regal place was an indication of just what he was willing to do to take care of me and you and to take care of our problems. I'd argue that the manger points us toward what's going to come in the life of Jesus Christ. Points us to his ultimate destiny. Do you know he wasn't born to be adored in a manger? 
but he was born to die on the cross. The very purpose of Jesus coming was our salvation, which could only be achieved by the cross. The manger was a way to the cross. The manger pointed to the cross. You can't get to the main to the cross except he come through the manger, but the manger has no relevance except he go to the cross. Understand the purpose of Jesus coming here because he did. He knew what his ultimate mission was. Paul wrote this in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, talking about Jesus. He said, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by walking, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient and that obedience was to death, even death on a cross. I love the way the old preachers say, they say they thought it not robbery. Thought it not robbery to take on the nature of a servant. The creator is willing to become the creation to rescue the creation from itself. What kind of love is this that this man gives to us? So it seems that Christ not only took on the position of a slave or a servant, but he also did it in the most meager of ways. You may have heard before talking about somebody who has achieved great status. He comes from humble beginnings. And that's supposed to be an indication that uh, Booker T. Washington says, I think this is the quote, I may mess it up, that it's not how high a man goes when he achieves, but it's the depths from which he started that talks about the significance of that man. But think about that with respect to our Savior. He started out a king and ended up dying on a cross. A reverse story for him, and yet it was infinitely more valuable for me and you that he started out the way he did. But not only does the manger point to the cross, y'all, the manger also points to disciples. Oh, yeah. The manger tells us about disciples. We talk about humility a lot. I want you to understand that. But it also needs to be said that God chose the most unlikely of people to be the first ministers and messengers of his holy word. Oh, I know what we do for pastors and preachers today. I know the pedestal we put pastors and preachers on. I know what the congregation will do to a certain minister to lift them up and make them feel exalted and esteemed. But that was exactly the opposite of the message that was sent when Jesus came here. Because when they came, instead of going to the palace to announce the arrival of the king, they went to the sheepfold. And they announced the coming of Jesus through the most unlikely. The folk, nobody wanted to be around. Nobody wanted to be around sheep. Today, if you've never been, if you've never read anything about shepherds, one of the things that always goes out about shepherds, and, and look, anybody in here, anybody here that watches Westerns, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, you watch Westerns. There's always going to be a conflict between cattlemen and sheep herders. 
Always going to be that. You know, you can watch whatever you want to watch, Wagon Train, the Barclays, whatever, all of that. There's always going to be some conflict. And one thing that's going to be said in all of the discussion is how bad sheep smell. Oh, they talk about that all the time. They say, no one wants those smelly creatures around us. They talk about that all the time. And so for that reason, shepherds, even though we think about them ideally and, and we think about them from the standpoint that, that David's psalm told us that the Lord is our shepherd, even though we think about it fondly, nobody wanted to be around shepherds. They would see shepherds coming and run the other way because they didn't want to deal with them. Now, can you imagine somebody who smelled like that, who worked with them all the time, coming to tell you the good news? You wouldn't even wait around to hear what they had to say. And that's who God chose. You go tell it on the mountain. You go be the messenger of what has happened here. And they took it upon themselves, these most abased of men, decided they were going to follow the direction of the angelic hosts and go tell everybody what they had seen and heard. And so that points to discipleship. Because if the shepherds, with their low esteem in society, could muster the courage to get up and tell the good news to everybody, what about me and you who are not seen quite as negatively in our community? You ought to be telling somebody about Jesus Christ. If you know he's come, if you know he has been uh, born, not just born, if you know he's been crucified, not just crucified, but resurrected, you ought to tell the story to somebody. It's not just pulpits, but it's absolutely the pews that have to tell Everybody, there's no way preachers can reach everybody. But if we individually start making it our mission to tell somebody how good God has been, then my friends, then we can reach the masses, men of every birth. We can tell them about a savior who came during this time. It's interesting because the shepherds were the original homeless folk. Oh, yeah, most of them were nomads because of the work they did. They didn't even own homes because they were paid so poorly. Most of them lived out in fields in tents. Yeah, they didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't have their own. They moved from farm to farm helping out as the need came about. They were the migrant farm workers of today. That's how shepherds were seen and still are. And yet, these are the people who were given the mission of telling the greatest news that this world has ever known. And so my question is, are you willing to tell it? I believe the shepherds are, in a sense, an indication of the disciples who were to come. You, me, not just the apostles who were with Jesus, but you and I. The ones who've also heard the good news, the ones who've also seen the good works that Jesus performed in our lives, we too have that responsibility. And so in this season of Advent, as people are busily preparing for the season, make sure you tell them the reason for the season. Make sure you tell them what was going on in the manger. Away in a manger, 
He really was the way in a manger. And he's the way you have to tell folks how to get to heaven. But not just stopping the manger. I love this part. Mary couldn't know the song we write. Mary, did you know that the baby boy that you were carrying would someday heal the masses and free all of us? Mary couldn't know that the baby boy that she was carrying was also going to save her and be her salvation. But I came to tell you that news today, that that baby born in those dire circumstances was the one who came to save us. Just like today, can I tell you, there's some babies that's born in meager circumstances in our community. Some of them born in the project, but they're going to grow up and they're going to solve the riddle that we have for cancer. Don't discount people being born in meager circumstances. People born in downtrodden ways will uplift many other folk because they'll understand. Just don't think just because you're born in a palace means you're going to help everybody. Oh, the world doesn't work like that. And Jesus came to give us the clue that everybody matters. Everybody is important. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. I want you to hear that song with a new understanding of what it meant for Jesus to be born that way. I know somebody's here today who learned something about the trough, but I want to make sure you learn about the baby that was in the trough. I want, to, I want you to know that he came with one purpose in mind. Do this. Block everybody out of your mind that's in here. Everybody. Just block them out. He came for you. Jesus, he came for you. All his work. He came from heaven to rescue you from the sin that we were born in. And all he asks is that you believe in him. That's all. Believe in the work he did while he was here. Those 33 odd years, he tried to demonstrate that he was, in fact, the son of God. He did such a good job in convincing some folk that they had to get rid of him. Because he messed up the power structure and the economic structure and he tore down all the fables that had been born and gave them truth. Because of that, he was dangerous to them. And so they killed him. They crucified him. But God had the last word because that same God who could create a savior and bring him through a birth, that same God could also resurrect that baby from the grave. And that's what he did. He resurrected him from a cold tomb. He resurrected him, snatched him from the hands of death. Death thought he had won, and God let him know that I am in control of everything, including death. And so he awakened Jesus from death, put life in him. We say new life, put life in him. And Jesus lives now forever interceding on our behalf. Do you know him? If you've never accepted that as your own salvation story, then I extend the invitation to you right now. Today is the day. Now is the time for you to accept Jesus Christ as your own Savior, your own baby came to rescue you, your own one on the cross. Accept 
And if, in fact, you've done that and you're just trying to find a place to fellowship and learn, then I suggest to you that you try for the And after 108 years, we're still helping people live the kind of life that Christ would be proud of. Whatever the case may be, the doors of our church are open right now. 